we are continuing to go through the book of Titus. Um, this book of Titus is Paul writing to uh, young pastor Titus as he goes to Crete to basically uh, work with a church plant, to continue the work that uh, Paul had started. And in this book, uh, Paul takes time to talk about developing leadership, about character, but he spends a lot of time at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 talking about the gospel, the saving work of Jesus, God's abundant grace and love for his people. And that is what we'll look at this morning, which is uh, really, this is one of my favorite sections uh, in the Bible. Um, And we'll walk through it so you can understand it. You can explain the gospel to someone just using this text. But I'm going to begin uh, reading from Titus in chapter 2 at verse 11, and then I'll end at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. So we'll sort of get the broad sweep, but we're really going to look at verses 4 through 8 in chapter 3. This is the Word of God. It's uh, good for us just to hear it being read. So please listen to God's Word. Uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's pray. Lord, we all come before you this morning and we ask that we would understand your truth better, that you would take this time through the work of your spirit to convince us of your grace and mercy. You allow us to see the great love that you have for your people and we would be people who uh, love the good works that you create out of that. Bless this time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you think about uh, planting a church, which many of you have been involved from the beginning of this, um, 
you know, you, there are multiple books on church planting. That's an understatement. And everyone has their uh, great system to do it. And they're all helpful. But it's great that sometimes it's not going to work. You can sort of pick and choose. Uh, but what I think what's interesting about this book is, uh, as Paul is telling Titus, this is what I want you to devote yourself to. He really says, I want you to, to devote yourself to the gospel and the saving work of Jesus. Uh, there's nothing in here about you need to have this style of worship. There's nothing in this book about you need to, work, you need to meet at this time. You need to ha- your service needs to be this long. You need to have this kind of snacks. It really is, this is the only thing that will help anybody in this world is understanding what Jesus has done. And that is it. There's nothing else. But isn't it interesting along those lines how we do when we go look at a church, uh, we sometimes aren't really concerned about this, the gospel. Is it vital to a church body? And many times we go because, well, we like the snacks or the music fits our taste or these other things. But here Paul is telling Titus, this is the best thing you could devote yourself to as a young pastor. So he's encouraging Titus to never leave this truth. Because God's plan of redemption and restoration is central to all that we do as a church. As we look at this, we're going to begin with understanding God's character. Verse 4 says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Uh, It is vital that we really understand who God is. Not just that he's eternal, but that he is perfect and holy. God is not just a much better version of us. Because that's sort of how we, in this world that we see and touch and feel and know, that's our understanding of holiness. Uh, That person's a little better than me, so uh, they're more holy. Uh, When the Bible speaks of God being holy, it means he is perfect. There is nothing wrong with him. And he's eternal. He was never created. He has always existed. He is merciful, and he is gracious, and his understanding of those is far beyond our understanding of those. We will never understand the goodness and kindness of God until we face the reality of what we are like without him. And this actually, as we begin at verse 4, this pushes us back to verse 3. And this is how you and I are described before God does a transforming work in us. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's how we're described as people. Uh, Without God, without understanding that there's a greater plan for this world, Uh, and resting in Christ for forgiveness of our sins, that's the state we're in as people who are sinful. And we're selfish. And so what we do is we begin to create rules in our own life of this is the way I want to live because then I get rewarded, or I get pleasure, or I get satisfaction. With no looking at what is the real reason that you and I are created. God's work of redemption in this passage, we can see uh, the moments of God's redemption plan. We have the past. 
when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared. This is, it happened in history past. Jesus lived a perfect life, died a perfect death. And he accomplished salvation for us. And then there's the present. In this passage, it says a renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's you and I at some point saying, God has given me new life. I have peace where I should have stress. I have rest when I should have anxiety. And then we have redemption consummated. At the end of this, that the goal of redemption is that we live this life in hope of eternal life. So we have redemption accomplished, redemption applied to God's people, and then we look to the future of it's consummated. There's an end. Christ will return. Life is more than what you and I experience in our days. That's God's goodness. That he does not just tell us, uh, live the best life presently. He doesn't just tell us, be the best person you can be on earth, and that's going to fulfill everything for you. He says, yes, devote yourselves to good work because you know God's goodness. But God's goodness does not end with your life here. There's a greater plan that reveals God's goodness and mercy. It's that one day, the hope that we all dream about will be fulfilled. And there'll be perfect rest and perfect peace. And we will be with God the creator in the new heavens and the new earth forever. But isn't it amazing how we miss that? I just started reading a book on heaven. And I'm, I don't know, five or six chapters into it. But it's amazing as he begins this book how he continually propels everything into the future. But that's not how we live. We live in our day-to-day. What am I going to do today? Uh, what am, how am I going to find joy in this thing today? And we see sort of that as our fulfillment. Instead of realizing what we're longing for will never be fulfilled here. There's something greater, and that fits in when we put in all the moments of salvation. Redemption accomplished, redemption applied, redemption consummated. There's an end. And for those who rest in Christ, it is glorious. Then we see the work of God's mercy in verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. This is the main phrase, he saved us. That's the main verb that drives this whole section of Scripture. He saved us. So if you can only remember one thing about my sermon, which is fine, remember that. He saved us. Because that's the message. He saved us. Which means you individually into a corporate body of people which are sealed for God forever. And he is the one who did that. God says that my goodness, my kindness, my love, my act of redemption is all toward you, my people. How would you answer uh, these little phrases? You don't, don't say it out loud. We'll just have jibber-jabber. Um, I am God's because. I am valuable to God because. I get mercy because. 
we're all temp- tempted to put other things in there. Instead of realizing we are valuable to God because he has purchased us for his own. Out of his grace and loving kindness and mercy, he has done everything to make you and I his. Everything. So he saved us, not by works of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his mercy. I don't think it gets more clear anywhere in the Bible that you can do nothing to ascend to be in the presence of a holy God. All you and I can do is receive from him. The first thing we receive is mercy. And in that mercy, we turn and repent of our sin and repent of the idols that we create so we can rest in his promise. Believing the leveling truths of the gospel, the leveling truths are there's nothing we can do. There's no righteous act that makes us much better in God's sight. The leveling truths of the gospel allow us to then live in community together and not in competition. The leveling truths of the gospel allow us to be uh, compassionate uh, to people who are uh, visibly broken. Uh, The leveling truths of the gospel allow us to be empathetic to people who are stuck in their sin. Because you and I, at some level, understand what that means. Grace is one of the many things uh, that we love to hear stories about, but we really struggle to live. Grace is not a natural part of our world, um, but we love to hear stories of grace and redemption. But then uh, when we actually have to be people who display grace to other people, it's a whole different story. Um, I enjoy reading uh, true life adventure stories, uh, expedition stories, and one of my favorites is uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton in, uh, I think it was 1916, 1919, um, with all of his men, and they got stuck, and they uh, took an eight-week voyage, uh, I think eight of them, on this little bitty boat, uh, and they landed at uh, Elephant Island, and then he and a couple men hiked over this island and were uh, found in safety. And I read that story and think, wow, that would be amazing. <laughs> the reality is, I would hate it. I would kill somebody. That would be miserable, and I would complain the entire time. But I read the book in a warm room and go, you know what, I want to do that someday. (laughs) I want to retrace those steps. And that's what we do with grace. We hear stories of grace, of people entering someone's life and displaying grace and kindness and mercy, and God transforming them. And we go, wonderful. I'm so glad they could do it. Because it's hard. Being in real relationships, it is hard, and it costs something. How does your affection for stories of grace differ from the reality of you actually living a gracious life? Um, Worship, community, and mission 
Uh, those are things we are about as a church, that the gospel transforms us in those three areas. Uh, those three areas are byproducts of knowing God's grace. And I think it fits also in these that we love to talk about worship as long as we don't address our own idols of worship. And we love to talk about community as long as we don't actually have to go create it and pursue it. And we love to talk about the mission of God as long as we don't have to talk to anybody. Or spend time with people who have a different worldview than we do. And enter their life. Really, the end of it is that we just struggle to live a life that is a generously gracious life. Uh, verse 5, in the middle, after he saved us, it says, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Um, every, and this is why the message in the Bible is good news. Every other religion in the world, even uh, the broad spectrum of the two other uh, Christian religions, which would be Catholic and Orthodox, all of them have a works-based salvation and righteousness. Every single one of them has it. If you do this, God will be more pleased with you, and then you will be with him in heaven. But you have to do it. And if you don't do it, well, then you have to do these other things to make up for what you did not do. The gracious message of the Bible is, you and I can't do it. So our first place is, is to be receivers of God's grace. John Stott writes about uh, six ingredients evident here about salvation. So we don't usually do this here, but I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little question, and then I want you to answer the question uh, using the verse as we sort of just walk through this. And it explains salvation. All right, are we ready? I know some of you are diehard Presbyterian. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't talk in church. Um, so verse 3 The question is, why is salvation necessary? How would you answer that using verse 3? Simply. Someone said something. I'm going to say it's the right answer. I didn't know what it was. What? We're rebels. We're rebellious. We're foolish. We're angry. We're slaves. We're disobedient. We need something. So first, we understand that it's necessary. Verse 4, where does it originate? From our Savior. From God. He is the great initiator of salvation. What does it rest on? Verse 5, His own mercy. Not what you and I do as acts of righteousness or good works. And then verses, uh, the end of verse 5 and 6. How is it applied to us? By the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. God, again, is acting to seal us as his own. What is the goal? So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And how does it prove itself? How does salvation prove itself in your life and my life? Verse 8. 
devoting ourselves to good works. Look at that. So when someone asks you, what do you believe as Christians? You know what? Can you read this? And I'll explain everything we believe about salvation. It's right there. You don't have to create another outline to memorize it. You just read this passage. We need redemption. God is the great initiator. He is the one who seals us as his own. He provides everything we need. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us hope. And he calls us then to live as heirs of his eternal promise. That there's something greater than what we experience in this life. And then we get to what seals and holds us as his own. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not that Jesus saved you at some point in life and then it's your job to hold on to Jesus as tight as you can. When you trust in Jesus, God has given you new life. His Holy Spirit dwells in you. His Holy Spirit dwells in you. John 6.63 says about the Holy Spirit, It is the Spirit who gives life. John 16.13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. John Owen said, Scripture is the believer's rule, and the Holy Spirit is His guide. By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit renews us. Um, And this does have some reference to baptism. Uh, How many of you are foreign film? You like foreign films? Okay. You see Nacho Libre? (laughs) I think it's a foreign film. Um, He talks in an accent, so I'm going to say it's foreign. Um, It's a wonderful movie. (laughs) But in it, you remember his friend? um, They were going to wrestle um, this big competitor, and Nacho Libre is very concerned because his friend is not, do you remember? Baptized. baptized. You have to baptize him. So his friend is sitting there, he's eating cereal, and Nacho Libre comes up behind him with a bowl of water, talking about, I think it's about time that you, and he grabs him by the, his hair on the back of his head and baptizes him right there. <laughs> Because his view was, once, once we do this, we're going to win. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, it's just a great story of his understanding of work. Once we do this ceremony, oh, we can, we'll be okay. We're going to win our wrestling match. Um, but really, that's not how it works. Uh, you, as a child of God, have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And we are called heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we can live generously in our life. We can be generous with grace and mercy because we are not called to be fulfilled here on earth. We we can be generous because we know that God is the one who's generous with us. He gives us not only himself in Jesus dying on the cross, but he seals us with his Holy Spirit. The Spirit works in and on the life of a Christian and looks to the fulfillment of all things in an eternal life. Uh, As Christians, we believe uh, in the Trinitarian nature of God. 
that God, there's one God, and God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, many times we hear them go, that's really great, and then we'll just put that on the shelf because we only deal with that when we deal with someone who doesn't believe in the Trinity. But how does the, Trinitar- how does the Trinitarian uh, theology of the Bible, how does that bring you and I comfort in our life? How do you make that practical? Well, they each have a role in your salvation. Verse 4 talks about God. Um, uh, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, this is returning, referring to the Father. God our Savior. God the Father has a plan to redeem a people. Um, in verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, the Father, has a plan. Jesus purchases those people for the Father. And then verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own, own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit renews you and me. So as, as Christians, it's not just that we just so appreciate Jesus and he's the greatest member of the Trinity. We appreciate the whole Trinity because God has a plan. Jesus sealed that plan. He worked that plan out. And we are, we are purchased and we are sealed because of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just as, as if God the Father sent Jesus and then um, the Holy Spirit is just sort of this wind that, that even God has no idea what the Holy Spirit's doing. There's a Trinitarian force and purpose in salvation. And this story of this is also in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. It's in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. The Trinity works in unity to purchase and seal you and I as his own. The goal of redemption is that believers become heirs of eternal life. And then our calling is that we are called to live as heirs. That we have this great inheritance. The triune God has accomplished something, and this is applied to us, and it gives us hope. And the only way to live in this hope is to rest in God and his justifying us by his grace and kindness. To take hold of our new identity that we are heirs. We are no longer children in rebellion. We are heirs. We have been transformed. We are sealed. And then we take God at his word. We're not just people that, that hope in some promise that um, we, we can't really grasp onto. Uh, we, as Christians, are people that hope in a promise that is written in a historical, reliable book that is 2,000 years old. And that is what we hope in. So why did Paul encourage Titus to never leave this truth? It is because this truth is the only hope we have as a church is the only hope we have as people. This truth is the only thing that will change the world that we live in. That's it. 
but we continually try to focus on other things. This will bring fulfillment. This will bring fulfillment. This will help change my identity. This will bring me satisfaction. The Bible is very clear. Those things will never fulfill you or satisfy you. It's only knowing that you have been transformed and you have a promise that's waiting for you. And the God of all eternity is the one who has accomplished this and he has sealed you by his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. Thank you that you uh, love us. You provide for all that we need. We thank you that you have given us grace, uh, that you forgive our sins. Thank you that you seal us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you uh, know how complicated we like to make things. And in your grace to us, uh, you make them very, very simple. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.